All right, take your Bible. Let's look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. It always amazes me how uh, when you preach expositionally through a book, that means uh, 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 section by section as it unfolds according to the purpose of uh, the God-ordained writer. And also, thank you, Raj, for preaching us. I appreciate that so very much. But, you know, it's just amazing when you, when you do expositional preaching, which I've given my life to, that over the course of time, all of the major topics of life are addressed. Everything that we need for life and godliness. And now, by God's direction, we're going to look at a week or two in this thing of prayer. And really my prayer that God would continue to grow me up in, in, uh, in prayer and uh, that its importance would uh, strike into my daily calendar and the way they, I order my daily events as much as I can. God's in charge, but we usually make a to-do list, do we not? A day timer or something like that. And uh, God has taught me a lot in prayer. And as I look back at it, uh, some of my most wonderful times are uh, those quiet times with Him where I talk over all sorts of things with the Lord and dealing with... Uh, uh, what's on my heart and mine, and the desires, and he invites us to come, and uh, I deal with my own sin daily, and we're going to talk about the need of that, and, and deal with those that sin against me, you know, those kind of things, and then pray for protection, you know, we need protection, and uh, bring, uh, as the patriarch of my family, the needs of my wife and my children, my grandchildren, uh, before the Lord every single day by name. And I take that very seriously. That's a very important part of, uh, of the leader of a home. It's a very important part, and I take it seriously as a pastor teacher of this uh, local assembly to work with the elders, but to pray for the needs of our church family. Uh, it's uh, more effective to pray before the throne of grace than to get involved and do something. Got to do something. Got to do something. Americans are like that. Got to do something, right? Well, get on your knees and pour your heart out to the Lord. There's no more important thing that you can do is to invite God to, in a special way, work even behind the scenes and maybe even more dramatically in the face of the circumstances to bring about His will. And God brings about His will often through burdening your heart and my heart to pray and to glorify Him through asking of our requests, the things that are on our hearts, whether it's the salvation of our children or grandchildren, whether it's a need of a work, maybe it's somebody that's sick, maybe it's someone's dying, maybe someone who recently died and we pray for their family, we support them and hold them up. A wisdom for a church and leadership, wisdom for a family. Do I take a new job? What do I do? Do I go to this school or that school? Well, you've, you've got to, if you know Christ, you've got to develop the discipline of that. The discipline of talking these things over with your Heavenly Father. How important that is. And God honors that and He blesses that. You know, we probably don't, probably need to get to bed a little sooner, get up a little sooner, and give that first part of the day to the Lord. I can't, I mean, that, the scriptures don't say pray in the morning, but I have found it to be the very best time. Uh, some of you pray when you drive, and right, well, you should be praying the way you drive. Lord, protect all others around me. <laughs> Pray without ceasing, that's right. But um, it's very, very important. And uh, you've got to come to a point in your life where you say, I'm done being so mediocre and doing slipshot in this thing. And I'm making a decision today. I'm going to start today. I'm going to, I'm going to start with a prayer book, and I'm going to worship the Lord, and I'm going to write specific measurable prayer requests and put, put the date I'm going to lay these before the Lord. And, uh, and I'll, I have news for you. If you've not done that, if you've not grown into that, or if you did, maybe you stopped. It's time to start or start up again. I mean, that's what it's really all about. God made us for himself. He is. Your spouse, if you're married, will never meet all your joys and hopes and desires. Never. Impossible. Impossible. Even in the best of all marriages, the best of all relationships, impossible. Your children will never do that. God made you for himself. He, uh, he speaks to us in the word, and we pour out our heart to him in prayer, and go in, like Jesus said, another, and shut the door, get down on your knees, and pray. And do that. And don't get up. 
until you're done saying what you need to say and worshiping the Lord, confession, A-C-T-S. Remember that little acronym? Adore, A, adore the Lord. C, confession of sin. T is thanksgiving. You know, fill your prayers with gratitude to the Lord. Thank the Lord for everything. Don't assume that you deserve it. You don't deserve any break today. I'm sorry to tell you that. You know, well, I do, don't I? No, you don't. Don't ask for what you deserve because we get instant hell. That's what we really deserve. We're born in sin and we sin. Sinners sin, that's what we do. And God provided the only way of escape to his son, through the cross. And that's the only place of victory. So A-C-T, Thanksgiving, S-X-S, supplication, means that we bear one another's burdens. And we bring specific requests, ask God to be glorified, always praying like the Lord Jesus, nevertheless, thy will be done. We don't know God's will always, but uh, we, we don't. Unless it's revealed in the scripture, we know that, but we're, we're trying to discern what's God's providence in this matter. And so we need to pray that way. Well, I've entitled the message today, How to Pray. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a medical doctor turned pastor of another, another day there in England, wrote, prayer is the highest activity of the human soul. Uh, also, we believe that, another man writes, that secret, fervent, believing prayer is at the heart of all personal godliness. Listen, here it's this simple, okay? You can't be godly if you don't have a prayer life. You can't do it can't do it. You might be able to pull vault 14 feet 5, but you, if you don't have a prayer life, you're not, never going to be a, a, a godly man or woman. You won't. Just, just won't have. Another man writes, we believe that the neglect of prayer can only lead to ruin. I know that's true in my own life, and in big ways and little ways. Big ways earlier on, little ways where I'm not maybe as disciplined uh, and I normally am pretty disciplined, but if I miss, and I don't tend to miss, don't usually ever miss, but there are times when I have missed, and I feel that, whoa, feel that lack of fellowship, that lack of worship, adoration, dealing with my own heart. My, our hearts, seemingly, every day, we get out of bed. It may be great in the evening. We talked about this at Small Group Leadership Training uh, last week. You know, we go to bed, everything's well, Lord, good night, thank you for that. Wake up, and we're on tilt. Or on tell, they're like, what happened? You know, you ever play those little arcade games? I used to do that. Put your nickel in when you're a kid, and and you're really getting the lights going. Do they even have those anymore? Maybe they don't. But uh, and then you get real rambunctious, and you hit the thing because you want that extra five thousand points, and it goes on tilt. Tilt. It means the game's over. You can't play anymore. It's 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 off. It robs you of your money. It doesn't let you forget or uh, finish the game. We're on tilt, and that's what we are every morning, seemingly. We're on tilt. We're not centered. And, and until we open the Word and hear God's Word, it reminds us, uh, it causes us to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And until we kneel and pray, we're not centered. We need to do that. We need to develop that. Well, that's, uh, I agree with those, uh, those men. Uh, take your by look at uh, Luke 11. Uh, the, uh, the gospel, Matthew also includes this same prayer. Uh, it's a, a little bit different in its wording. Uh, Matthew's account in Matthew 6 is a little more familiar. Uh, it's the one often that churches will use as a part of liturgy. Uh, that uh, Luke is a little more streamlined. And, uh, and let's just read verses uh, 1 to 4 and see uh, Luke's rendition. Uh, of uh, this which is called the Lord's Prayer. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Well, that's, uh, that's the account that Dr. Lou gives to us of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I said Matthew 6, uh, it's also included. But let me back up with just a little more immediate introduction. One of, one of the great things that we have today is the ability to talk to others on a wireless phone. Is it not? It's great. I remember when I left for college way back in the old days, 
My mother always made sure I had a couple quarters because if I had a problem, I had to find a pay, pull off the highway, right? Find a, a, a paid phone. They're antiques. Have you seen those? I haven't seen those in forever. And you got three minutes for a quarter or, or three minutes for 50 cents, and they'd break in. And, and none of you ever cheated the phone company by doing station to station asking for your brother, right? You never did that, and uh, I'm, I'm sure of that. But uh, and we often thought, wouldn't it be great to have a cell phone or a phone of some sort, like the Jetsons, where you could drive down the high, down, down the highway, make a phone call? Yeah, we have lived to see that day. I think it's one of the great things of today. Faithy's dad loved the telephone. He died in 1999. He would be in his glory. He's in heaven. He's in real glory. But as the expression, he'd be in his glory if he had a cell phone today. <laughs> he'd be always on it all around the world. We're sure of that. To make a telephone call with a cell phone, uh, what a joy it is for us. It really helps with our children. Faith and I are three children, even though they live in distant and faraway states. Yet I say to you by this that there's something even more amazing. And that is through Christ and his work at Calvary, we're able to speak to God at any time, at any place, at any hour of the day. And uh, we have the assurance that God always welcomes us. He always welcomes us, and he invites us to come and to pray. In fact, the Bible, if I understand it right, God is more willing to hear us than we are willing to pray. And at any time, we can, our Father, Father, here's a burden. Father, here's this. And you know what? He never says, oh, no, not you again. Now, I know you never said that with somebody who's pestering you calling on the phone. Right? And you say, well, I thought I was on a do not call list. <laughs> How did they get me on another list? Oh, no, right during dinner, right? God never says, oh, no, not you again. Aren't you glad for that? I am. Anytime. He delights, and in fact, he delights, that's an amazing thought, to hear our words, our voice. And we don't even need a cell phone to do that. Wow. Dr. Luke makes a special point in his gospel uh, of, of, of Luke by presenting Jesus as a great man of prayer. He does this more than anyone else. There are 12 separate times when Dr. Luke wants us to know that Jesus is praying. They usually surround big events, and, uh, and we see our Lord separating himself, going and praying. He's up in the mountain. He prays all night before he selects the, uh, the disciples. Uh, he's, uh, he's praying on all different occasions. And Luke wants us to know through the Spirit of God the importance of faithful, regular prayers modeled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I always say, if the Lord needed to pray, He was God, man, sinless, how much more should we? Should we ever stop praying? Probably not. And by comparison, that's a tremendous example. Most of us think of uh, the Lord as uh, the great physician. You know, He's able to speak the word and, and to raise the sick and the leprous and all of that. Uh, he's a great miracle worker. We think of him that way. He takes a boy's lunch and he feeds thousands of people with it. How does, how's he able to do it? He's God. Multiplied like this. Thousands of them had 12 baskets left over. And sometimes we think he's, he's a great teacher, and he was the greatest teacher that ever was. And wouldn't we love to sit in one of his lectures? Wouldn't it have been great to sit there on the hillside and hear the Sermon on the Mount? Incidentally, that's the, that's the context of the other Lord's prayer given on that occasion. Now, some will like to say, um, well, you know, that shows that the Bible is filled with error. Luke's account versus Matthew's account. But I submit to you, this, there's a simple answer to it. Uh, the answer is they were two different occasions. Uh, in Matthew's account, it's earlier in Jesus' ministry when he gives the Lord prayer that most of us are more familiar with in church setting. And there he is showing uh, the crowds that they should be not like the religious leaders of that day that babbled on and on and on and on thinking that God would hear them through their repetition of words and so on. He's correcting them. He's calling them, be careful of public prayers. Be careful about that. Don't be like those that stand on the street corner and love to be seen and they're praying with a thought that, boy, aren't they godly, aren't they holy. Be careful about that, that whole setting. It's a different setting entirely. Now in Luke, 
we, we saw in the weeks gone by, he's in the last six months of his life. He's making his last journey to Jerusalem where he's going to die for our sin. And again, uh, he is asked by the uh, disciple here in the context, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he gives uh, this prayer here for his disciples. It's really, it should be called the, the disciples' prayer. It was for them. The Lord never had to pray uh, for a confession of sin but it's for us as his disciples. Uh, you say, well, why did he need to repeat it? Are you kidding me? Have you seen how bright those disciples were? They weren't the sharpest tool in the shed, you know what I mean? <laughs> and a good teacher, right? Some of you are teachers by training. You know the value of repetition. And, uh, and so you, to repeat it again. What's that again? Here it comes again. Different setting, going to repeat it. And, uh, and like any one of you who have... Uh, presented a lecture or a sermon in different settings, or maybe you've had multiple services. There have been sometimes I'll have two or three back-to-back -back sessions or workshops or sermons, and I'll present the same material, uh, but it, it is not verbatim. It's not verbatim. But there's not a difference between the two. Our Father who art in heaven, uh, hallowed be your name, yeah, your kingdom come, this phrase, your will be done, it's simply appositional. When God's kingdom comes, his will will be done. You see, it's not saying thing, anything any different. And so Luke is more concise, and yet it's saying exactly the same thing. In debt, or forgive us of our sin, again, the same thought entirely, so that they would get the idea here. Well, uh, here we discover that not only is Jesus a great teacher, the great healer, the great miracle worker, but he's also a great man of prayer. And he is. I should say one other thing. Uh, because of the, uh, the prayer that we're usually used to, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil in this part. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, just to give you a word on it, you say, like, where does that come from? That was added to by the church in the early centuries as they would say this together in a communal sense. Give us today our daily bread. It was not only for individual use, but was for use in community. And uh, the ending there, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, the church added that from one of David's ancient prayers. You can write it down, 1 Chronicles 29.11. 1 Chronicles 29.11. David, they added David's uh, doxology onto this, the disciple, or the Lord's prayer. So you can see where that came from. Well, there are two parts in this model prayer that directs us to, in, to, in the content of our prayers. I'll remind you, the important thing here is not using the exact words of Jesus. Sometimes we think that. Got to use the exact words. One of the reasons why this may appear in two different forms, a longer and a shorter in the Gospels, uh, is maybe to specifically say this. Look, it's not the verbatim word. It's not the word for word for word that's important. It's the structure and the pattern and the content. That's what's all important. Say, what should be a part of our prayer life as disciples? Well, there are five things he's going to tell us that, that, that ought to be a normal part of your life as a Christian that loves the Lord, that is seeking to grow in your prayer life. And so he enumerates these. The first two are heavenward or vertical, if you will. The first two. And the next three, the second part of this great prayer, are, are horizontal or earthly if you will, such things as daily bread and sin and spiritual protection. Those things pertain to us here and now. And so the important thing, again, you see it on your sheet, is not so much using the exact words of Jesus, but following the same structure and the same themes in our own prayer life. And so it's not a rigid form, uh, but it's a, it's a pattern for us. Well, the first, this vertical, verses 1 and 2, Jesus directs us to begin our prayers by looking up. Not bad for us to do that. The setting finds Jesus praying again. His life is saturated with prayer. You know, there, one man wrote about this, and I thought he's right. A lot of times, 
we think of uh, all these activities in the life of Jesus. He's healing, he's moving, he's teaching, he's preaching, uh, these kind of things. And then there's like these little, little periods of time where he's praying. And Luke has, as I said, 12 of these times where Jesus is praying. He said, you can think of it that way, but maybe a better way to think about it is, is Jesus' life was so saturated by prayer that he was praying all the time, and then his prayer life was interrupted by some of these other things, his teaching, his preaching, his healing, and so on. I just want you to get the, the, the whole sense here that the life of our Lord Jesus Christ was the life that was saturated in prayer. And if that convicts you, let it convict you. Let it motivate you to repentance and say, Lord, let me begin today. I've wasted too much time. Or I used to pray more. Let's start up again. Much of life is starting up again. Remember when you're learning how to ride a bike? I fell off that bike all the time. I went down to the corner. Couldn't make that. Down on the sidewalk. Well, that's it. I'm not going to do that anymore. No, I got up. My father, get up, you're all right. <laughs> Brush it off. You know, start right. I'm glad he did. I, I learned to ride a bike. Same thing, get up again. Righteous man falls seven times, he gets up, Proverbs 24, 16. And that's what we need to do. Let me encourage you on that. Well, Jesus directs us to begin our prayers by looking up. The setting, Jesus is praying. B, one of the disciples waited till he was finished. That was nice of him. And then he asked for instruction in prayer. Again, uh, that of all the things they could have asked him, uh, they asked him for help in prayer. They could have asked him, Lord, how did you, you feed all those people? What's the trick? Well, that'd be a good one to know. We get a crowd that way. Free lunch. Someone said no such thing as free lunch. How do you do that? How do you preach like that? How do you write a homiletical outline? How do you do all these things, Lord? How do you heal the leper? Teach us these things. No, none of those things. When they looked at his life, they saw his daily life, and the thing that overwhelmed them by their own deficiency was his incredible prayer life. And so again, we see, Lord, teach us how to pray. We need help. John, John the Baptist evidently instructed his disciples. We see that there right in verse 1, even as John had given some sort of pattern or structure for uh, his uh, followers. Well, Jesus answered, when you pray. There it is, verse 2, when. He assumes, he assumes that we're going to pray. When you pray. He assumes... That if you know Christ the Lord as your Savior, that you are growing in this thing called a prayer life. And when you do that, address God as your Father, uh, our Father who art in heaven. Now this is radically different. You should know that. To us, it's second nature. We almost say it without thinking. Uh, we'll enter into prayer with our Father in heaven, our Lord God. We'll, we'll pray that way, but we'll say Father with, with hardly any little thought of how we are addressing the God of creation. But to a Jew, this was radically, radically different. They never did that. You see, God is the one who, who would tell us and told the Jews how that they should, should approach him. And you just don't approach the king. Now, we're Americans. We're profane. We hate kings. King George, who's he? I vote. Don't I rule? No, you don't. There is a king, and his name is the Lord, and you just don't rush into his presence, and you don't come in haphazardly. You give thought to it. And God uh, outlined to Israel how that they were to worship him. There in the tabernacle, the whole book of Leviticus, uh, the theme of it is, listen, I'm holy, I'm great, you're not, you're sinful, stay out. That's the book of Leviticus. And on one day a year, let the high priest come in and he'll represent you with the blood. That's it. And they were like, whoa. They didn't even say the name of God. They didn't use his personal name. They substitute the word Adonai, you see. And now Jesus, the Lord of glory, the creator, is saying, Lord, teach us to pray. When you pray, say, Father. And they go like, Father. Patre, Father. In another place, Abba, Father, means Daddy, this term of affection. Now, Jesus always called God his Father with one notable exception when he hung on the cross suffering the full weight of God's wrath against our sin. And he said, quoting Psalm 22:1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the only time in Scripture where Jesus didn't call God his Father because he was representing us as the atoning sinful sacrifice before his Father. But every other case, it's, it's Father. 
Every other And the surprising thing is, is that he invites us to address his Father, God of glory, in the same way. What a privilege. It's surprising. Well, when we pray, we see the first request. Number two here, when we pray, we're to begin by honoring God's name and his reputation. Hallowed be your name. One's name is one's character. His name is holy. He's holy. Holy. Absolutely distinct, different, one of a kind, kadosh in Hebrew. That's what it means. Anything but common, altogether different. We'll say that about someone who can throw a football 50 yards down the field. He's in a league all his own. Well, not really, but uh, in a hyper, uh, in an exaggerated sense, we'll say something like that. Or, or they do this, or he's a surgeon, he does that, and no one else does it like him. Well, that's what the word holy means, distinctively different, altogether different. And God is like no one else. And we are to see and that his name is honored. It means that we must begin our prayers praising God for who he is and all that he has done. It's not a title. Father. We name our children in the West here by fancy names, names that are common, and they go through a cycle. Our newest baby, grandbaby is called Emery, Emery Hope. And Emery, I, I see, is a, becoming a more popular name. But they didn't do that. It wasn't a title. It, uh, a name reflected who they were. You'll see that where their names change in the Old Testament. You call me Ichabod. You know, uh, the glory has departed. Uh, they'll change the name to represent uh, the character, and God's name is holy. It means that we must begin our, pray our praying to God, worshiping Him, jealous for His honor, citing His qualities and characteristics as the Bible presents. And by this, we revere His name, and we're asking that God's name be revered by people everywhere. Ours is a quite an evil day, isn't it, with God's name being so blasphemously used? It was a day when it wasn't like it is, and it's probably going to get worse unless the Lord changes or comes, changes the circumstances with the revival. We hear the name of God as a verbal pause. Uh, it's one of the big ten. You're not to take the Lord thy God's name in vain. And people, well, from the depravity of the of the dungeon of their soul, their depraved soul, in a moment of exasperation, curse the name of God. What is it about our wicked fallenness that it's such a, a point in time with little thought? Uh, out, of the, out of the depths of our evil speaks our tongue and blasphemes like a fist in God's face or will damn other people in the name of God. Say, God damn you. It shows the absolute horror of our, of our depraved nature. You'd never speak of any, anyone's mother that way. I've challenged people at times like that. Well, they'll, say, they'll, they'll say that, and, and I'll have occasion, not always, but I'll say, would you ever speak of your mother like that? Well, what do you mean? Well, didn't, didn't you just hear? You just cursed the name of God. Say, my mother? Never. Well, God is the creator God of all. God expects his name to be held with the highest of reverence and honor. Or sometimes someone will say that and I'll go like, oh, pardon me, I didn't know you were praying. What, what do you mean? Well, I heard you say God's name. I thought you were in prayer. Well, that usually startles them too and it opens up a conversation. Hallowed be your name. And it means, first of all, that me, the one praying, God's name needs to be made holy and distinct and awesome in my life. Let it begin here. We often say that. Let it begin with this guy first. And that's right. Hallowed be thy name, Jesus said. That's where he begins. Wow. Next, we are to ask our Father to establish the full manifestation of his kingdom. Your kingdom come. That's seeking the establishment of our Father's authority. A hundred percent. You see, Jesus uh, has been preaching about this kingdom. As they went around the countryside, the kingdom is coming. His death secured it, for on the cross he defeated sin, Satan, and death. His was the death of death. 
And today we enjoy spiritual aspects of this kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom at this point with a new nature, new disposition, possession of the Holy Spirit, and God is making his own into the image of Christ. We enjoy that. But it's not the full manifestation of the kingdom. Have you noticed they've not beat the weapons in the plowshares yet, have they? They haven't. A nation rising against nation, person against person, murders and killings and, and all sorts of evil going on. Uh, we, we have kingdom citizens here, men and women and boys and girls who will come to faith in Jesus Christ and live in this darkened world. But someday when Jesus comes, the kingdom will be in full bloom manifestation. And there'll be no need to bear any witness for all people. Jeremiah 31, there'll be no need to tell someone, you need to know the Lord, for everyone will know the Lord. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. What a day that will be when the kingdom comes and the curse is reversed and no more death and no more sin. And we can't, Lord, we can't wait for the day. Oh, hasten the day. We say with John on your sheet, even so, Lord, come quickly, bring this about. Bring all things under your absolute and total control. You're in sovereign control right now, but providence allows this evil to go for a time, and then it will be no more. The administration of his authority over creation, over enemies, and over his own. I can't wait. Well, the first part of our prayers in this model prayer, we look up. We're looking up to honor God's name. And second, we petition that God's authority, his full-blown manifest authority, would finally come to earth. You can't wait for that wonderful, wonderful day when that happens. The second part of this prayer is uh, horizontal, if you will. It pertains to earthly things. And we need to be careful. Most of our prayers ought to begin with the vertical now, there are some times when we find ourselves in a, in a calamity, calamity of a situation, and we need to just simply pray for our need at that point. Peter had that experience when he was on the water and began to drown, right? He was going down, and he didn't start with our Father who art in heaven. He wouldn't have made it. He wouldn't have. Thy kingdom come, thy will be. Where did Peter go? He's down. Nah. No, it was, Lord, help. And there are times, but those prayers are based, uh, their powers based upon all the prayers that precede them and in the format that the Lord has, uh, has taught us and is teaching us here today. And so Jesus further directs us, number two, to conclude our prayers with our needs. We should almost never rush into God's presence with our gimme list or things that we think we need or our loved ones or our family, but enter reverently, honoring Him first. And so there are three of them. One is physical, and I notice the order. You know, physical things are important. You say, well, that's not really important, eating. Well, I think it's pretty important. You know, give us today our daily bread. Bread uh, is, that's why it's called the staff of life. You ever wonder where that came? It comes right from the scriptures here. Bread and water, they say in prison. I, that's all that you get. Well, you can live on that. Bread here is not only referring to bread, but it refers to symbolically all of the physical necessities that we need to live life in this present world uh, today. And so we're saying, Lord, uh, you know that I have need, and, uh, and give to provide for me. You're my provider. I'm absolutely and totally dependent upon you for all of the needs of life. And Jesus teaches us here to pray and to ask the Father for these things. The, and make sure they're needs and not greeds. And a lot of time we get those mixed up, don't we? Needs and greeds. I got to have this. I want that, you know. And so uh, be careful about that. But I've discovered even with that, that the Lord is so generous and so kind that he goes far beyond the things that we need. You know, we think we need all these things, you know. We don't. But God provides the necessities, and he's so kind, so much beyond that. And we're totally dependent on him as we live on this hunk of rock, suspended by nothing in outer space, moving at incredible speeds. It's amazing. God meets our needs. He's so kind. Give us today our daily bread. You, you can't hardly think about this without going back to the manna that God provided the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. 
manna, something that they had never known about. They're bellyaching and complaining. Now you brought us out here, Moses, to, to, to die. We're going to starve out here in the wilderness. And God had in his plan manna. And God was going to provide for all those. And you know, if you read the text, and you know, it stopped on the very day they entered, crossed the Jordan, entered into the promised land. God's timing is perfect. His provision was ample and took care of them for all those years. And God is the one we are dependent on. A lot of times, God will use uh, providentially our gifts and abilities. He'll use work. He'll use and provide our paychecks and take care for our loved ones and our family to be a blessing, to give, and he provides that way. And we're thankful for that. And it's a good thing to work, isn't it? It sure is. Be careful then, because we're so inclined to trust our own ability to provide and then take God for granted. Lord, I don't need you here for this. I'm able to do it. Uh, I, you have a bigger picture of yourself than what you have. You could open your mouth and breathe a germ and never get out of your bed another day in your life. That's the reality of life. We are totally and utterly dependent on God for everything. And when we say that, we're actually saying, thank you, Lord, for that. And we're acknowledging it by, Lord, give us today our daily bread and for my children, and for our family, and for our church family, and for our country, Lord. And we pray for those that have needs, that need work in, in the city and in the country, and those that are, are, are hungry tonight. We, and we, we, we consider them our neighbor, and we do something about that. Well, second, and the, and the last two here are spiritual needs. As, and, and letter B on your sheet, we're to pray for God's forgiveness of our sins daily. We acknowledge in, in seeking this mercy that uh, we are unworthy sinners before a holy God. We might say that the Lord's Prayer is a sinner's prayer. As the Lord teaches us to pray daily and forgive me of my debts. He's not talking financial. Uh, he, he says, forgive me of my sins daily, bathing, washing, finding cleansing, First John 1 John 1.9. We have to do that every single day. Or our hearts will get hardened and we're soon wayward, far off the path. We are. The confession of sin is an important ongoing part of your relationship with God. It's not a one, not a one and done type thing. I love Martin Luther. I, I read a quote uh, that he had said. He frequently and famously said, and here's the quote on your sheet, the whole Christian life is one of repentance. And isn't that the truth? Then the forgive and forgive. Not only do we, do we uh, find forgiveness, Lord, forgive me for what I said, what I did, what I didn't do, what I should have said, omission, commission, all these things. And then, Lord, I forgive those that sinned against me and hurt me and harmed me and, and hurt my loved ones. You see, the forgive and forgive. Why is that? Because we bear our Father's resemblance. In the Zabolski family, you can tell the resemblance. My mother, I saw her a little bit ago, and, and my brother Todd was there also, and my mother's kind of checking, I didn't realize, checking out my new hip to see how that was working. And uh, she, she followed me to the car. We were going to go to the, grab a bite to eat, and Todd was uh, with us at that point. And I walked first, and then Todd, my younger brother, walked second. And uh, my mother got to the car and says, Holy cow, you guys walk exactly alike. And that was good news for me. You have that, uh, you know, that titanium uh, bionic hip. Uh, actually, it was a year ago this past week. I, I celebrated that uh, with, uh, with a drive through at Wendy's. And uh, <laughs> I think we did that, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't tell you. I did. <laughs> Don't tell Faith I did <laughs> She's trying to take care of it. You walk exactly the same, my mother said. Family resent. Why do we do that? Because the grace of God so works in our heart. We know what it is to be forgiven of an enormous debt of sin. And so we don't hold pocket change against someone else who sins against us. And God has forgiven us more than Fort Knox. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord at the cross. So when people wrong us, we don't hold grudges. And we don't... Walk around, I'm not forgiving you, and play the power game, and all that nonsense. Husband and wife, inter-family, work, school, community, and so on. But we release and forgive freely. 
because we know what it is. You know, we release. Why? We didn't say, like, that's nothing. You should see what God forgave me of. And so we're generous that way. That's, those, that, those are true Christians. And, you know, those are happy people. They don't keep the list, you know, of the rights and the wrongs. Those are happy marriages. A, a wife forgiving her husband daily and releasing, not carrying it forward. Not in the, letting the sun go down on one's wrath. Oh, that's like a pressure cooker. Release it. Release. Release. That's nothing. You should see what God forgave me. Oh, my. The greatest example, incidentally, I ever saw of this in my own life, 1979, the first year I was pastoring. That's, that's a few years ago now, right? Indiana. Uh, there was a family in our church where their daughter was uh, dated a young man from Indiana. And the fathers saw it to be a no-good relationship and uh, told him he didn't want him coming around the house anymore and you, you do not have permission to date my daughter. And uh, that, that young man did not respond right, 19 years old. He got his father's 38 and went and killed the father. And Max was a treasure in our church, our little church. It was a church plant. And uh, that was a heartbreaking October, 1979. I'll never forget it. I go, like, they don't teach you this kind of stuff in seminary. And uh, it just uh, enveloped that family and love them and Faithy and I to care for them. His, Max was six foot four. Uh, LeVon was like five foot, maybe. And uh, three, three children. Boy, it takes me right back. I remember being in her home that week as we spent a lot of time there and uh, through a lot of tears. And LaVon looked at me, and she, she, and I should say one other thing, she adored her husband, adored him. They were high school sweethearts, like you guys. And she said, Pastor, I, I really, I forgive him. He's ruined my marriage and my family will never be the same. But I, I forgive him completely. And then, and then about a month later, uh, she said, can I sing a solo at church? And she, when, again, she stood before I had a little pulpit there. <laughs> she stood, you could hardly see her head, like this high. And she sang a song through her tears of God's cleansing and forgiveness. And, you know, I thought, only God could do that. There's, you can't muster that up. It's not like a football game in a locker room pregame talk. You know, it's a game of inches. Let's suck it up. Hold it. No. No. You know, it's human. Where's my rifle? I'll see you and raise you. You know? That's, that's in us, all of us. What's not is to say, I forgive and release, and I'll pray for his soul. Whew. And so when I read this, I can never forget LaVon Ridgeway. Wow. And we, we are to forgive others. And I remind you, if you refuse to forgive others, then your heart is not right with God. It's not right. You need to ask the Lord to chisel your heart, make it soft. And forget about expectations, you know. Forget it. Forget it. We all live with disappointments and heartbreak and tears. Well, that's not what I deserve. That's not what I expect. So what? Just freely give it up. It'll, it'll, it's like a cancer. It'll eat you. And we would expect that because you're living contrary to the Word of God. Freely forgive. God never holds a grudge. We get on our knees and we, Lord, what I did was wrong. It was evil. Call it what it is. I repent of it. By the grace of God, I never want to repeat it again. Lord, thank you for first time one night. And God says, that's it. Done. That's it. Cleansed. Washed. Not like, well, let's see how you are next week. Let's see if you really mean it. You know, people talk like that. I'm not going to forgive you unless I really see repentance. Don't do that. Someone comes to you seven times in a day and asks forgiveness. Jesus said another point, you forgive. And only God can do that. Only the Spirit of God in you. And it's a reflection of the work of God in your life in the new nature. 
And that's what Jesus is saying. And quick and last, because we're out of time, see, we are to pray for spiritual protection. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, this does not mean that God tempts us. James 1 tells us that's impossible. But what does it mean to lead us not into temptation? What he simply means is, is that we're so weak and puny and small and frail and so given to sin like a magnet in our heart, we're drawn to it. So we say, Lord, I recognize really what I am. And I'm just saying, Lord, you know what I am. Just keep me away from that, which is going to cause me to hit the hole again. Now, it's better to pray that way than having to go to the one right before it. Lord, forgive me for my sin, right? Pray the Lord, keep me from it. Keep me away from it so then I don't have to pray for the confession of that sin. That is far better. And that's the point here certainly in seeking the protection of the Lord, the Lord's Prayer, how to pray, the disciples' prayer. Well, what can we say? Let's close with some lessons for our life. Number one, this does, number one, Jesus assumes that, that you will pray. Is that true in your life? Needs to be. If you've gotten away from it, ask the Lord's forgiveness and, and, and come back to him. And develop the daily discipline of a prayer life. When you pray, faithful prayer is essential to the life of godliness. And if not, you're running low on gas. You are. Or another uh, analogy, I remember that. Uh, I, believe it or not, took uh, some music lessons for a lot of years. And I always remember that one little admonition about practice. Practice, 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 right? you miss practicing your, in my case at that point, the piano one day, you know. If you miss two days, your teacher knows. If you miss three days, the world knows. That's not a bad analogy for our prayer life. One day, I know. Two days, before long, I'm, not, I'm almost shipwrecked. People say, what's the matter with them? What's the attitude? Are you all right? You know, and they, they sense you don't have the joy of Jesus. I mean, it ought to radiate from our heart outward. It only comes from spending time with him. Again, in Old Testament, remember Moses on Sinai? He came down and his face glowed. Our face doesn't glow, but there is a glow. And people sense Moses was in the presence of God. It scared the Israelites. There's a glow and a joy in our life like nothing else when we spend time with the Lord. When you pray, Jesus said. Maybe that's, maybe that's a single message you need to walk and take away here today and begin that. Number two, second lesson for our life. When you pray, begin by honoring God's name. Spend some time musing on it. Thinking about the grandeur of the Creator and the glory. God is the great artist. God is beautiful. God is a God of detail. He's the great astrophysicist. He's the great teacher. He's omniscient. He's almighty. He's all-powerful. He's from no beginning, no ending. He's the eternal God of the ages. We're but a speck. He's immortal. We're mortal. Enjoy that. Learn to enter into that. He's sovereign. He's the great king. Number three, daily confess your sins. This is so essential. You wouldn't think of uh, going to bed with uh, soiled uh, skin if you've been out working and sweating and all that. You'd quick jump in the shower and wash. You wouldn't think go day after day and doing that. And how much more important is it for our souls to be cleansed and washed? Sinner's sin, that's what we do. And God is changing us, making us into saints. There's a discipline that needs to be practiced. Will you come join me at the prayer time? I don't mean crowd into my house, but they used to sing that way. Will I find you praying? In the garden of prayer. The Christians would sing that, meaning that as you're praying at some time during the day, maybe in the morning, and I'm praying, and we're joining each other in prayer as we worship and, and talk to our Heavenly Father. Find cleansing and washing and wisdom 
It's amazing how God will bring thoughts into my mind and naughty problems when I'm praying. Sometimes I want to keep a tablet close and write it down. Lord, thank you. I needed that. Boy, I needed that. Now write it down. Dealing with naughty issues and things in life, you're like, I'm clueless. I'm clueless as to how to proceed here. Lord, you've got to lead and make it evident and speak way, way down on my level so I understand it. Not too high because I won't be able to grant that in prayer. So important. Number four, recognize your total and utter, utter dependency upon the Lord. Do you do that? You are. We are totally and utterly dependent on Him. Everyone is. It's just uh, believers that recognize that, acknowledge that, and are grateful for that. I mean, it's amazing to me. It is. Live a life of gratitude. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. We ought, we ought to be like Gomer Pyle. Or how about another, how about another, uh, Father Knows Best. How, I remember seeing that. It, I, you wouldn't even see a program like that on TV anywhere. Some of the youngers are going, like, what in the world's that? Dad always was able to figure out the solution to the boy's problems. And she adored him. This <laughs> way. Father knows best. Yeah, right. That's going to sell today, right? Our Father knows best. He really does. Number five and last. Perhaps you need to receive Jesus as your Savior. I'm wondering, if you come to know Christ the Lord, are you saved? From the penalty of your sin. It's not automatic. It's not a matter of joining a church or being in the right family. You must be saved by simply a prayer of faith. Come to realize that you're a sinner, you're lost, you're under judgment, there's only a heaven, there's only a hell, according to the Scriptures. And you must receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. In a simple prayer of faith, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and as my God. Thank you for dying for me. If you mean that with all your heart, God will save you forever and ever and ever. And you'll become a citizen of heaven. And when this life, which is all passing all too quickly, is over, you'll be welcomed home forever. That's for me. That's where I'm going. I want every one of you to go with me. Not at the same moment, but I do. Lord, teach us how to pray. Wow. Let's stand and be dismissed with the word of prayer. Father.